This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Now, this next topic is going to seem a little outlandish, a little crazy, a little far out. But when you see uh, people willing to put millions of dollars into this idea, maybe it's not so crazy. But a lot of investment from some Silicon Valley types in the SENS Research Foundation, S-E-N-S, which is devoted to understanding and essentially defeating aging. Is aging inevitable? Is the process of aging something that can be slowed down or, or stopped altogether? The oldest person who ever lived was, I think, 122 years old, which to most of us seems like a really, really long life. But why is that necessarily the upper limit of human longevity? If we can address aging, what's to say humans couldn't live for 200, 300, 400, 500 years or even more? And here's the other thing. Would you want to live that long? How would that, that change society if people could live that long? So, like I say, it's, it's a pretty big question, but it's one that our next guest has devoted his life to. Aubrey de Grey is the founder and chief science officer at SENS Research Foundation, S-E-N-S dot org, and is the VP of New Technologies with AgeX Therapeutics. And he joins us on the line here this afternoon. Aubrey de Grey, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's talk about, first of all, your own philosophy on this and, and why you, you founded this, uh, this research and this foundation in the first place. Well, basically, it all began from a discovery that I made in the uh, early 1990s. Um, and that discovery was not a scientific one. It was a sociological one. I discovered that hardly anyone was really focused on trying to bring aging under medical control, including hardly any biologists. I was completely astonished by this, and I thought that it was horrific. And so basically I came to terms with it to the extent of deciding that I needed to switch fields. At that time, I was actually a computer scientist working in artificial intelligence research, and I was perfectly happily doing that. I was you know, uh, uh, being reasonably successful. But the reason I was working in artificial intelligence was for humanitarian reasons. I felt that it was a very bad thing that people have to spend so much of their time going to work. In other words, doing stuff that they wouldn't do unless they were being paid for it. Um, and that if we could develop uh, smarter computers, then that would therefore be a good thing for people. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew from the very beginning that aging was a far more serious problem than the problem of work. And the only reason I wasn't working on it earlier was that I had totally presumed that everybody else thought the same. And when I found out that that wasn't true, after I got over the shock, it was a pretty easy decision for me to switch fields. 
So the idea of rethinking or reimagining aging, because I think the reason why people hadn't looked at it that way is we, we've had this sense of inevitability that it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen to all of us and there's no stopping it, right? Well, that's right. That's the thing about hard problems is that once one has decided that they're so hard that it's not worth thinking about them, one kind of puts them out of one's mind. And because this particular problem is such a serious one, in other words, one in which people are caused a great deal of suffering, um, and they know it's coming, um, this imperative, this, this compulsion to put it out of one's mind is even stronger. But unfortunately, the problem is that it went too far, such that as we were quietly generating better and better biomedical tools over the past century or more, um, the possibility that these tools might actually bring the phenomenon of aging under medical control kind of passed people by. But it seems such a long way off, uh, and we, we've still, I mean, we've made some strides in increasing uh, human longevity, but um, not nearly to the point that, that you envision. Well, sure, but I mean, that's the way that any technology is, you know, it doesn't happen until it happens, you know. Research on powered flight was just as futile as that until it wasn't. But I think this speaks to the interest in, in what you're doing. There's been a lot of coverage recently of some of the investments that have been made in the foundation. Uh, does that suggest that we're making progress or that there are those who really have an interest in us making progress? Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, progress is, come, is happening at many levels. On the one hand, we're seeing progress in the actual laboratory, um, both our own laboratory that we support and the um, work of other people in par working in parallel with us. And secondly, as you say, the conversation has become much more intensive and much more um, rational and serious. And the result, of course, is that a lot more and more people are getting enthusiastic about actually helping, actually doing something to bring this forward and hasten the defeat of aging. Some of those people are scientists who are getting involved with the right projects at the bench, and some of them are investors or donors who are supporting the thing financially. I, as you say, um, I'm delighted to say that the um, incidence of quite wealthy people coming in and providing funding seems to be increasing. Over the past few months, we've had a large number of dollars come to us in the form of cryptocurrency donations, actually, um, from relatively young people in their 20s who are um, not old enough to be caring about aging personally yet, but nevertheless who understand that it's the world's most important problem. You said recently that you, you believe, and I'm wondering if you, you remain committed to this, um, that the, the first person to live to a thousand years old may be alive today. I certainly did say that, yes, yeah. and I still believe that that's probably true. Of course, we can't know for sure whether it's true because the situation is the same as it is with any pioneering technology. We don't know how long it's going to take to actually arrive until we get there, but we do know that we can place some kind of estimate of the time frame on that, and the estimate remains, in my view, uh, compatible with the idea that people who are alive today, um, in fact, perhaps people even who are adults today, will be in middle age or not much older when these therapies first arrive, and that will be sufficient for them to benefit, to be 
uh, actually rejuvenated, not even maintained in that biological age, but actually turned back into biologically, both mentally and physically, a young adult. Right. And it seems incomprehensible to a lot of people. That, that's quite a concept to, to try to wrap one's head around. Yes. Uh, I, I have to battle this incomprehension all the time, of course. And yeah. one thing that I always try to emphasize at the beginning of any lecture I give or any interview I give is that aging is not nearly the mystery that people have been brought up to believe that it is. Aging is a medical problem. It is amenable to medical intervention just the same as anything that we call diseases. In fact, the um, terminological problem, the semantic problem, is kind of the opposite of that. The problem is that the um, so-called diseases of old age, such as Alzheimer's disease or atherosclerosis or most cancers, these are not really diseases at all in the sense that an infection is a disease because these phenomena are side effects of being alive. They are the result of the accumulation of initially harmless damage in the body that eventually the body has too much of to be able to tolerate. So, you know, I believe that actually the main problem is a problem of concept, of, of definition that has got people misled. Well, it's interesting because, yeah, I think a lot of us would tend to think of, of aging as kind of an all-encompassing term that, that points to many different things. But is it, is it a single, singular problem then? It's certainly not a singular problem. Uh, the body, of course, is a really complicated machine, and the result is that the, um, uh, the body accumulates many different types of damage. But it's a manageable problem in the sense that if we look closely at the types of damage that the body accumulates, we can see that they can be classified into a relatively manageable number of categories. Typically, I talk only about eight, uh, uh, sorry, seven categories of damage that are, um, you know, each of them amenable to a generic intervention that will actually repair them and restore the affected tissues or organs to something like how they were at a younger age in terms of their structure and composition. Um, so yeah, it's a manageable problem. It is definitely a divide and conquer strategy, but it's a plausible one. Right. And, and we're not talking about immortality here. We're not talking about invincibility here. There, there are all kinds of different ways that, that people die, aging being, being one of them. Well, that's absolutely right, yes. I'm certainly not working on people, uh, on stopping people from being hit by trucks. I mean, of course, I'm quite pleased that some people are working on that. But, um, yes, there are always going to be various ways to die. Uh, with regard to cancer, because, you know, as you say, the, the older you get, the more likely it is that, that you may be struck with cancer. This, would it be wrong to view this then, though, as, as a cure for cancer? Oh, no. The cure for cancer or, well, the use of the word cure is a little bit problematic in the same way that the use of the word disease is a little bit problematic when we talk about age-related problems. But let's not worry about that for the moment. Um, but, yes, yeah, certainly eliminating cancer, bringing cancer under um, comprehensive medical control is part of, all, of what we're doing here. Um, we need to stop cells from getting into a state where they divide more than they ought to. And if we can, then we will not end up dying of cancer. I'm sure you get this question a lot because uh, our society, our, the way our society is built, it's preconditioned on the notion that you know, people are only going to be around for a certain period of time. Uh, this kind of turns that concept on its head. If people are living 200 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, uh, are we equipped to deal with this? 
Yeah, I mean, it is painful how hung up people get on things like that. You know, it's as if we were worried 200 years ago about whether people were equipped to um, use medicines that reduced the incidence of infant mortality from like 40% down to like 40 thousands of a percent. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of dumb to be um, worried about how we would manage having solved the world's most important problem. So we'll, we'll adjust as we have over the centuries. Correct, yes. And of course, the adjustments may not necessarily be smooth. You know, some of these, some of the introductions of dramatic new technologies have been relatively turbulent over history. And that's why I believe that a large part of my job right now is to do interviews and talks and so on that help to improve the quality of debate and get people to anticipate and plan for the post-aging world that's coming before it comes so that the transition into that world can be made relatively smooth. Well, and we'll direct people again to the website, the SENS Research Foundation, SENSSENS.org. Uh, it is quite fascinating. Aubrey de Grey, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. That is Aubrey de Grey, founder and chief science officer of the SENS Research Foundation, VP of News Technologies with AgeX Therapeutics. I mean, there, there's two questions there. Uh, is that doable scientifically, and uh, is it a good idea? Right. So I think when you talk about extending human lifespan, we think of it as, well, we're going to tack on another 30 or 40 years of old age, essentially. You know, like the story this week, uh, I saw Richard Overton, we've talked about before, the oldest surviving World War II veteran. He'll turn 112 in May. And this guy still lives in the home in Texas that he built uh, 70 years ago. Still smokes cigars on his patio every day. A uh, businessman in Texas so was able to organize a private jet for him so he could go to Washington, D.C. Uh, for a tour of the uh, World War II memorial there. Uh, but he is 111 years old. And what's also been going on with Richard Overton is that friends and family have uh, started a GoFundMe page uh, to raise money for his um, 24-hour and around-the-clock home care, which is now $15,000 a month. So... I mean, this guy seems to be doing pretty good at 111 years old, but he's still 111 years old. So the idea then of, of getting to that point in life and then tacking on another 20 or 30 years, maybe that doesn't sound so appealing. If you could get to 30 or 40 and then basically shut off the aging, well, that's a different question. How many decades would you be prepared to, to stick around if it were a continuation of that? What's a reasonable amount of time to spend on this planet if aging's not an issue? Now, that doesn't preclude something else from killing you, obviously. As he said, it's not about creating immortal humans. But that inevitability of the degeneration of our cells and everything that comes along with aging, if you can reverse that, would you want to? Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.